When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to your post-game Orange and Brown talk. The Browns lose to the Atlanta Falcons. Doug Maurice, Irie Harris, and then down in Atlanta, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ashley Bastock. These guys have to catch a flight, so we want to hit what matters. Mary Kay, who is the person, what is the thing to blame the most? And I want to hit everybody on this, the most for the Browns losing on Sunday. You know what? I know everybody is pinning this on um, on Kevin Stefanski for what happened at the end. I mean, at the at the end of the first drive in the first quarter, but the the two drives where they got inside the um, you know in the five in the first half. I know everybody is is railing against that, but I still feel like they would have won this game if they had their star defender Miles Garrett in the game. I don't think that. Marcus Mariota would have been able to um, be effective. I don't think the running game would have been what it was in the uh, in the fourth quarter in the second half, 132 yards in the second half. I just don't think it would have been that if they had been able to have their star defender on the field and they didn't have their star defender on the field because he made an egregious error and went out and did something that he should not have done. So I I kind of put it more, uh, on him, even than I do Kevin Stefanski. I think that's I'm I'm not surprised, Mary Kay, that you were willing to to make a point that maybe some people don't love. But the number one thing that matters is that Miles Garrett is okay. But now that beyond that, I, I think this is a very valid point to make. He does have an obligation to his team, and he was making choices that affected his team on Sunday. So I mm-hmm. think it's something that needed to be addressed, Ashley. What's the number one thing, number one person to blame for this loss? For me, it's less about that final call um, and going for it on fourth down. It's more about this red zone ineffectiveness a little bit today. I mean, we saw them, I want to say they were one for three. I don't have my notes in front of me. I just wrote a story about this, um, including the last call. But I just think they have to be better in that regard. They're in the middle of the pack in the league, and it's less about the decision to go for it on that first drive than the play call itself and how it kind of transformed into just disorganization and chaos. And Jacoby Brissett hits the Falcons logo on the back wall of the end zone. So I just think looking at that, that's something Kevin Stefanski talked about too. They have to get better in that regard because points are harder to come by without Deshaun Watson. One for three is correct on that. Dan, blame. Uh, well, I think the defense certainly deserves some blame, but, I, you know, I'm going to say that they relied a little too much on the passing game today. They, they tried a little bit too hard to force things with the passing game. And I thought Jacoby Brissett didn't play particularly well today. I, you, you know, it's not that he didn't play well. It's that he played like you would expect Jacoby Brissett to play. It was fine but 
you don't want Jacoby Brissett throwing the ball 35 times uh, because he's not going to play like he did the two weeks prior to this. He's going to look more like this more often than not. And I thought on a day when you could kind of get whatever you wanted on the ground, and I know people on Twitter get upset when you just say run the ball more. Uh, I'd have just run the ball at this team over and over again. I think, you know, and I think getting down to the goal line and not sneaking Jacoby Brissett even once you know, putting the ball in his hands that way, instead of having him throw the football, like we know he's one of the best sneakers in the game. It was little things like that. They relied a little too heavily on Jacoby Brissett making plays too often. A little bit of a regression, but also Kevin Stefanski, I want to talk about this later, put Jacoby Brissett in sort of a non-Brissett position. And then we saw what happened. Irie, where do you put the blame person or area? Oh, man. Well, the anger in me really wants to say everybody, but I, I'll just keep it to 10% for now. Uh, it was kind of similar with Grant with Dan. I mentioned prior with the passing game. I, I don't feel that it was too much force in the first half. I was really, I, think, I think the problem was really the second half offense where they really shifted the focus primarily on the running game. Now, that's not the worst coaching move it may seem when you have a three-time pro bowler and Nick Chubb, a top three running back and a former, you know, rushing leaders champion and Kareem Hunt. But the passing game, which is so effortless and so uh, efficient in the first half, when we saw the Falcons were containing Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper, that they were able to use the other targets that I spoke about uh, within the last week's show. So I felt that they, that just became invisible in the second half. The Falcons' defense wasn't in, increasing the pressure in that sense. They just really shifted the focus on where they wanted to go with the offense. So let's talk about Jacoby Brissett and Kevin Stefanski in that marriage because we've been talking about it in such a positive way for the last couple games. I did feel like there feels like a little bit of a disconnect with, as you've said, Mary Kay, this offense is designed for a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes to succeed, right? You play a little cautious. You don't take a lot of risks, but you're efficient and you move the ball. I don't know, Mary Kay, if that pairs with a – pretty aggressive fourth down philosophy that that it is this is Kevin Stefanski with fourth down aggression paired with a conservative quarterback and quarterback game plan and if you think about at the end because you're aggressive early on fourth down and don't get it aggressive in the red zone not just running it you wind up in a situation where you have a very you have a chance to win you have a you have an the you, offense has the ball late in the game with a chance to drive for the game winner, but it's Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett is designed to put a game away, right? This team's designed to put a game away. Is, is that anything, Mary Kay, that Kevin, does Kevin have to change his philosophy about game management to better match the quarterback they have right now? You know what? I think the game plan in this game was to score as many points as possible. I really, truly believe that they thought this was going to be a shootout and that threes were not going to cut it. And furthermore, they were going up against the 27th ranked pass defense in the NFL. And when you've got all those horses out there and you've got all those weapons, uh, you should be able to uh, score touchdowns when you get into the red zone, theoretically against this defense. And I knew, uh, you know, I, I just know going into it that that was the thinking that they, they thought that this game was going to get into the thirties, maybe the high thirties, maybe even more than that. And that they had to score early and often and they weren't planning on coming away with three and falling behind right away because they knew that Atlanta could score, 
you know, whenever, especially with three of their four defensive linemen missing. Yeah. So even without, you know, even if, you know, the philosophy probably, you know, might've been different had all those defenders been there, but I think they just knew that like, we got to gun it. We got to score whenever we can and however we can. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I don't think it's going to be like that in every single game. I don't think they're going to take necessarily chances like that against a really good quality defense. You know, maybe, you know, some other defenses that are going to be coming down the pike, the chargers defense is good, even without Joey Bosa. Uh, You know, I just think that in this particular game, they thought they were going to have to get to 35. Does anyone else think you, you maybe you take threes when Jacoby Brissett's your quarterback? Does that, is that anything that should match up or is that really not the issue here? So like, it is an interesting, I think, debate. And I wrote this story after the game, our quick reaction stories. And mine was like, yeah, how I, I was questioning that play call after the game was over and you lose by three. I think it's like kind of an obvious thing to question. Um, I just think it's, for me, we, we talked so much about without Deshaun, Watson here in running this offense, how hard points are going to be to come by. So it's kind of easy to look at it and say, well, three points is better than no points. Right. But obviously when they're looking at this analytically, the analytics, most of the time in that situation are going to say, well, trying for seven that early in the game is better than trying for three. So I just think it's just this really nuanced conversation, which is kind of what my longer story um, after we had time to digest the game and talk to people what that's about because there are obviously other things that went wrong. There's no guarantee that if they, you know, make a field goal that early that the game is going to play out exactly as it did without them kicking that field goal. But I, I just think it is kind of an interesting debate to have, um, even though I don't necessarily know, like we can't pin the entire game on that, right? Because there was another red zone opportunity that should have been a touchdown because they were at the Atlanta one yard line in the second quarter after a great catch by DPJ. And they only walk away with a field goal after three, like nothing plays after that. So I just think it's a bigger issue than whether or not you go for that field goal there. Um, and I kind of, I get where they're coming from and why they, decided it wasn't in the best interest and honestly every player we talked to loved that call they're fine with it so well, players love aggression right there's always love aggression. one aggression they, they love aggression but i will say amari cooper is probably like the most analytically minded player on this offense and he gave this really great like detailed answer about why you do that and how the game has evolved and all this stuff so it is interesting to hear from a guy like that and say like, yeah, the aggression is nice but like the analytics say this and and you kind of get a, a picture of that so, so I don't want this to be, listen, people love aggression. The analytics say it. Kevin is, is ahead of the pack on a lot of this stuff. And you can't just, whenever they go on fourth and don't make it, then you can't be like, why are they going fourth down all the time? And then when they make it, then you're like, he's a genius. So I generally think going for it on fourth down is okay. I didn't know if, should, if it should change at all because of Brissett. Dan, I thought the most egregious thing was trying to pass from the one yard line, which gets the holder call. Listen, the, the teller holding call, not holder, the te- the holder telling call the Wyatt Teller holding call. Wyatt Teller is a mauler in the run game. He can get grabby in pass protection. So that is not like, how did that happen? That happens at least once a game with Wyatt Teller. Dan, I thought that was crazy. I Whether think it's a sneak or a handoff. Why aren't you running it four times? Yeah. And, and I think that that to me, I, I'm with you. And I actually was looking that up while Ashley was talking. Cause I, I was going to bring that up if, if you didn't, um, I thought Kevin actually called a good game today offensively 
for the most part, because the Jacoby Brissett I saw was a guy who would drop back. If his first read wasn't there, he might've gotten to his second read. But once you're to that point, you were in trouble, but Kevin was still giving him up, you know, the DPJ throw, uh, there were a number of throws, and then he missed DPJ on another really great route and a, and a great play call. I thought Kevin called a good game today, with the exception of that moment in particular, and and maybe maybe that other goal line moment. But I have the play by play up here where he's got Dunn and Froholt as eligible on first and goal from the one. He runs it for no gain. That was the one that was almost called a fumble. And then you're right on the next play, he's got Dunn and Froholt on the field again, and he rolls Brissett out. And they get called for the hold, which which takes them back to the 11-yard line. You know, again, Jacoby Brissett, arguably one of the best sneakers in the game. And you don't even let him try that, or you don't give it to Nick Chubb one more time, or you don't give it to Kareem Hunt one time. You don't give it to Yelda Froholt one time. I don't know. I, I just... That, that's kind of my... That's kind of where I was going. It's that reliance on Jacoby Brissett to do what you would expect like Deshaun Watson to do in that situation or or something like that. You're in a spot where you can just pound the football at him. And I think that's what you need to do there to get seven. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's go big picture on what's happening with the two and two Browns right now. Next on the orange and Brown talk podcast. Doug back with Irie, Dan, Ashley, and Mary Kay. You can be a Browns insider. You can sign up at cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner. We'll get you signed up there and you get all the stuff. You guys know what the stuff is by now. I read they're two and two. They could be four and oh, they could be one and three. They haven't faced a great quarterback yet. The schedule gets much more difficult. I know Dan was writing after the game. They blew their chance at three and one. Like I read what should Browns fans be thinking about this right now? Both the fact that they are two and two, but now going forward, especially with the way they lost the two games they've lost, I read. Should fans be worried or questioning what's going on with the Browns right now? I would say a sense of both. I think as a fan, actually, you're going to worry because since this since this franchise came back in 99, I think it's fair to say on paper, this is by far one of the top two more talented teams that, the, that this franchise has presented to fans. So you expect this team, regardless of how many preseason games or practices they've done together, to be to, out there and better as a whole. Uh, regarding the schedule coming up, and this is something I remember Dan talking about earlier multiple times during the offseason of, all right, so we have to see how they look during the first four games because how are they going to look? When playing against Justin Herbert, how are they going to look when, you know, Lamar Jackson comes out and how was that going to be about? So it's definitely a sense of worry. All right. You three guys are down there. What's the vibe? What was the vibe post game? Does this feel like a team that knows it missed an opportunity? Does this feel like a team that is teetering at all? What did you get in the locker room from the Browns? You know, I, I did get the sense that, um, that they, I mean, they were really, really down on themselves after this because they know that they're better than this football team. I mean, Marcus Mariota had a rating of 41.3. Okay. Um, He completed seven passes on the day, including only two after the first half. The reason why mostly I think they lost this game is because those two other guys besides Corderell Patterson came alive in the second half and just put the game away. And the talk after the game was very similar to the things that the Steelers were saying about the Browns on Thursday night, where 
they just were powerless to stop the run. Again, they combined for 132 yards in the second half, just those two guys, um, Huntley and Al Algier. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's probably right. Um, so, you know, that's basically what happened. They knew that they just, they wore them down. They were powerless to stop them. And I think it had so much to do with, uh, three of their four defensive starting defensive linemen being out of this game. I think there's probably a sense of when we get our guys back up front, we'll be okay. It's, it's the strength of the Browns defense, their, their defensive front. And they just didn't have their two star defenders and one of their starting defensive tackles. So I feel like they, they seemed a little beaten down. I think they know they missed an opportunity. I think they know that they're, they don't want to be a 500 football team and that they have lost to the jets and the Falcons two games they should have won. Um, but I, I do think there will be a sense of once those guys get back, they'll feel okay. Does this come back to haunt them, Dan? Listen, you lose goofy games in the NFL. We get that right. But this is a team that wants to compete for a playoff spot. Will they be looking back on this one in a couple months and saying that killed us? It, I mean, it, it could um, just because right now, if you look at the AFC North, everybody's like two and two. And, you, you know, you could be four and oh right now. And I think if that, you know, obviously, look, getting Miles Garrett back and getting Jadavion Cloudy back would be enormous. But you also can't just lean on that when you lose a game like this you you just you know they're going to play the chargers next week without joey bosa and with justin herbert i don't don't know how many ribs he has intact right now and there's a good chance the chargers are going to come to town and beat him so you know and nobody on the chargers is going to sit in the locker room and say well we didn't have this guy we didn't have that guy we didn't like you know i feel like we've gone through that excuse game before with this team so if that's what they're leaning on that would concern me a little bit But um, yeah, this game and the Jets game are games that you regret if you are instead of being five and six or six and five when Deshaun Watson comes back, you're four and seven or even worse. Like, I mean, hopefully not, but even worse. It's odd, Ashley. You look at the big three for the Falcons and we weren't sure Patterson was going to play. He did. Patterson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts combined for 80 yards, Ashley, and the Falcons won. You know, the Browns weren't burned by the Falcons' best players. You know, the, the, the Browns had um, a turnover, but, you know, that's part of the game. And you get, like, it's almost amazing, amazing actually, when you try to look inside this game, like, how did they lose? Which, yeah. again, almost is, like, kind of the worst way to lose because you look at it and say, how did you lose? Yeah, it was like the guy who kind of turned the tide of the game for them was Huntley, who was, like, a practice squad guy up until, you know, they elevated him for this game. So, that that does make it worse, you know, and to Mary Kay's point, I think watching it, like it was definitely clear that they're missing their top defensive guys in, in that regard. But like Dan said, it's like you can't make that as an excuse, but it because it's still, you know, we, we talked to Joe Woods about this earlier in the week, and he made the comment that I don't view anyone as a reserve. I view them as starters in waiting, which, you know, is some nice coach speak, but I'm sure, you know, he believes an element of that. They get these guys prepared to go out there and play if they have to have a next man up mentality, all that stuff. Um, So to just kind of have your run defense totally break down in the second half to a guy who, you know, is not like Cordero Patterson and the number three rusher in the league. He was a guy who was on your practice squad who should be able to stop. And um, I think that element of it, there's definitely got to be 
some regret there in terms of what this game might ultimately mean with what their final record is, that they didn't get beat by the guys they were anticipating might have these solo standout performances. They let other people beat them. So a couple of key things I want to, I want to zero in on Mary Kay. They give up a 42 yard pass on the drive that the Falcons drive down and kick the go ahead field goal. Again, it's, it's a wide open dude in a situation when you cannot have a wide open dude that it, it is hard to look at that kind of play in that situation, Mary Kay, and not have long-term concern about that because it's happened before and you sort of can't believe it happened again. Yeah, you know what? You're exactly right about that. But what comes to my mind in this situation is that uh, the NFL is now a big, huge, take shots, passing game proposition. And guys are going to take those shots. Jacoby Brissett took one of those shots and completed a 42-yard pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Granted, it was against the 27th-ranked pass defense. Um, But I think that you're going to just have to build those in and bake those in uh, that you're going to have those. Because when you are starting to play, when you're going to be playing Justin Herbert and you're going to play Lamar Jackson and you're going to play Josh Allen and Tom Brady and Joe Burrow, to think that those guys are not going to hit their shots, it's just, it's preposterous. They're going to happen. And, I mean, you just have to to realize, I mean, yeah, everything's got to be uh, as tight as you can get it, and you've got to be communicating, but I still think that there are going to be plenty of big plays in the NFL because that's what it's all about now. Yeah, but but Peoples Jones makes a catch because he beats a corner one on one, and Jacoby makes a perfect throw. I don't know, Dan. That guy was five yards open at a time when he, when you can't be open, when you can't let a guy whatever the coverage is. It looked like it was, you know, three deep safeties cover three. Like I, I understand what Mary Kay's saying, but there was nobody near the guy at a game breaking part of of the game. Yeah, it's not great when a a guy whose last name is Zacchaeus is get just running wide open in the middle of your secondary. It was, it really did look like just nobody covered him. He was, when you went back and watched, it was like there, you had your defensive line and then you had like your linebackers. And then just in the middle, there was all this green space and there he was. And Mariota threw a shot point. Um, it was, it was not good. I, I mean, it was a, it was a bad play. I, I think, it, you know, you can live with, Justin Herbert throw. I mean, I agree with with that. You can live with Justin Herbert hitting Mike Williams on a deep ball and one-on-one coverage, but it's, it's those plays that it's like, come on guys, you've got to get this figured out. And and when you talk about, you know, being in the locker room after the game, you know, I, I barely grabbed John Johnson before he left and he was not, he was not happy. And he's the guy who's the leader in that back end. And he's the guy who, knows where everybody belongs and what they're supposed to do. And it was hard to not kind of hear some echoes of everything we heard in those first two weeks. You know, even though this defense played great in the second and third quarters to give up that big play and and then to just get run on like they got run on today. It, it was really bad. Mary Kay, I want to ask you about the other thing that I, that I wanted to zero in on. Amari Cooper was shut down one catch for nine yards, but we had talked about, you had talked about the idea of other guys getting involved in the passing game. You mentioned the big shot to Peoples-Jones. He had five catches for 71. David Bell, more of an impact today, two for 35. How do you read that? 
the way this passing game broke down today, it feels like did the, have, did the Falcons just put their best corner on Amari Cooper and decide to take him away, and then some other guys did show up? Is it more encouraging that, that the other guys had some catches, or is it more of a red flag that Amari Cooper was a non-factor in a game like this? How did you view the passing game? You know, I mean, I, I think it's going to be cyclical. I think it's going to go like that. I think there will be times where they'll they'll give you Amari and times where they take him away. And I think this is one of those weird games, although I do always find it so odd where or a guy like that, where you can get consistent, he can have consistent production, usually no matter what, only gets four targets and, and catches one pass for nine yards. I, 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 it, it is, it is somewhat of a concern. It, it really is somewhat of a concern. Um, so yeah, they, they've got to look at that. And actually Amari and Jacoby were kind of talking to each other. Uh, you got, you saw that too, Dan, I know you were right there. Um, those guys were, uh, you know, discussing some things that, that may not have, have gone right in this game. So I think they got to go back to the drawing board and sort of figure that out already. I'm going to call it a little bit of a concern that you can get the ball only one time to Omari Cooper for nine yards. Actually, Omari had been so good the past couple of games. What was it like watching that unfold? Where did you kind of just wait the whole game for, okay, well, all right, he's going to get going here at some point. Jacoby's going to find him. What was it like watching Cooper wind up with one for nine? Yeah, and especially because, you know, and we've talked about Amari Cooper, we brought up the fact that he's like, he seems like one of these guys who, you know, throughout the league, there are only a handful of them who are going to find ways to get open, like regardless of what opposing teams game plans are for them. But, when you know, when we talked to Amari afterwards, he said he felt like the zone they presented kind of gave him some trouble that they, that's what kind of hindered him. I think when you see Amari Cooper at his best, it's when he can get in those kind of one-on-one matchups and, and take advantage because that's what he does really well with those route running and his double moves and things like that. Um, I will say, even though that happened, I, I was kind of slightly encouraged as the game went on by the fact it felt like the ball was being spread out more. It was really nice to see David Bell um, get to use those hands today, especially, and get DPJ back involved. And, you know, early he was looking to David Njoku and Harrison Bryant. So I was encouraged by the fact when Amari Cooper wasn't there, Jacoby Brissett was looking to spread the ball around a little bit more. And I'm with Mary Kay. I think this is kind of just going to be how it goes. All right. Before we let you guys get on your flight, they're two and two. They certainly could have a different record, but maybe this is what they deserve. Dan, this was kind of a line in the sand for a lot of people, whether it was because at some point, maybe people thought Deshaun Watson suspension would only be four games long. More likely it's just because these four teams, this was an easy start of the year. And with the Chargers, it gets more real. They haven't faced Lamar Jackson yet. They haven't faced Joe Burrow yet. They have Tom Brady coming. It gets more real, Dan. Two and two, the way they're playing. What's your view of where they are and what it means for what comes next? So, you know, obviously it's easy on Sunday night to to be super pessimistic about where it could go. But, you know, these, these really good teams do have some real flaws. You know, like Lamar Jackson is insanely scary, but the Ravens' pass defense stinks. Like they're, it's one of the worst pass defenses in the league. So and the Ravens, the Ravens are blowing games. They, yeah, right? yeah. Um, you know, the Bengals. Uh, I mean, I think the Bengals might actually be the best team in the North. They're they're actually the team that scares me the most at this point. If they if they get their offense figured out, um, 
you know, the Chargers, we've talked about it. They don't have Joey Boza. You know, Justin Herbert is hurt. So the Browns are still a talented enough team. If Miles Garrett is on the field, if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are on the field, if those two guards are on the field, they're a talented enough team to go into these games and hang around and maybe make a play or two late. And we, I mean, the NFL has been insane this season. So who knows? I think there'll probably be one or two of these games where it's like, okay, they didn't have a chance. But I think for the most part, they should be able to compete in these games. It's just, can they win when it matters if Jacoby Brissett has to make plays in the passing game league? Ashley, give us your overview heading heading into the fifth game of the year. Um, I'm going to say they kind of feel like a two and two team to me. Like when we talk about, oh, they could easily be four and oh or one and three, like it's kind of been all over the place. So two and two feels about right now. I think they've lost to the two teams that none of us would have picked them to lose to if we were going to pick them to lose one or two games in these first four. Um, I think I thought it would be much more likely they lose to either the Steelers or Baker had it. If Baker had an amazing game in week one, that they would have lost to Carolina, but two and two feels about right to me. I think it's kind of surprising. Like the offense today, definitely not as productive from the Jacoby Brissett side of things as he, as he had been uh, the last couple of weeks, but defensively these coverage breakdowns to me are like maybe the biggest concern because up front what happened today again you're missing guys but to have a pretty big coverage break like that at the end of the game where like Dan said I mean Kevin Spancy said it was a blown coverage they have to go back and watch it um, it was obvious that that's what happened and when we're talking about a secondary that has been together now it's like okay why why is this still happening and it didn't happen constantly like it did against the Jets, but it was a pretty big mistake for them to make. So I think it's less for me about, oh, they don't have Deshaun Watson and how are they going to manage that? And Jacoby Brissett is limited and more about these mistakes that are things we thought were going to be fine and, and what's going wrong there. And why are you losing a game, for example, when you only let a quarterback complete two passes in the second half? It just doesn't make sense that then you have a huge coverage breakdown like that. All right, Mary Kay, what's your two and two overview? And and there are some reports out there that Miles Garrett may be out for some extended period of time. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but just where do you think this team is right now? Well, first of all, I don't know if people are talking about um, Adam Schefter's report. Is that what you're referring to? That's Doug? what I'm referencing. He said could be another two to four weeks. Okay, so he didn't say be out another two to four weeks. He actually reported that miles could be like sore for another two weeks or like impacted for another two to four weeks, but could, could play against the chargers. So I think the report was somewhat misleading and has everybody thinking that miles could be out another two to four weeks. I, at this point, Twitter phrasing, Twitter phrasing people with your reports. Don't (laughs) trick us with your, okay, sorry. Yeah. I just don't, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I suppose that could happen. Um, depending on how bad the shoulder is, but considering that, you know, that he was really going to try to play this week, if he possibly could leads me to believe that perhaps he will be back next week. And I think even if on a limited basis, and I think Jadavian will be probably back, but, um, but I, I think one of the key takeaways is the fact that uh, three teams are now two tied for two and two in the AFC North. And the Steelers are bringing up the bottom at one and three. And so it's bunched up. I mean, if they had, if they were falling behind in the division, then that 
would be something to be really, really concerned about right now. But they came out smelling like a rose today because of everything else uh, that happened in the NFL and in the division today. So I think there's, you know, they're still going to have a chance to do what they want to do. All right. We'll let these guys get to the airport. Safe travels, everybody. Thanks for going to Atlanta and digging out this info for us. Uh, We will take a break. We will be back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, though, right after this. All right. Back here. It's me and Irie. Irie, I think it's an interesting point that Mary Kay makes, and it's certainly valid. The fact that nobody in this AFC North is better than two and two. Steelers are one and three. They just changed quarterbacks. When you think about the Bengals, and they've certainly missed some opportunities early in the season, although they seem to be getting it together after a bad start. The Ravens, now listen, they did it against Josh Allen and the Bills, right? But they blew another game Sunday. Both their losses are games that they had in hand and blew at the end. I don't know. I mean, Dan's saying he thinks probably the Bengals are the best team. Is it is it possible that the Browns are as good as anybody in this kind of goofy division where teams are throwing wins out the window all over the place? Where What do we think of the Browns standing in the AFC North? I believe that this team is as good as anybody in this division. I mean, the records would imply that it's anybody's game. But before the season – and I remember being one of those that said this. If you say that the Browns went, were to go 4-0 and in the first four games, most of the people would probably look at you crazy. A little bit would say, yeah, that's possible. I took it and said, why not? I think this team is good enough to you know, go 4-0. and Now, post, you know, post after week four and a bad loss, another bad loss to Atlanta, and many people via social media on Twitter and even for some of us thinking that this team should be 4-0. They were 155 away from beating the Jets, and today was a low-scoring uh, performance where opportunities were not taken advantage of like it was in prior games. So, and there's no sense of cleaning up every single mistake and being perfect here. But the fact that they're like this, and we see that uh, we see other teams are making similar mistakes, like you said, throwing windows out. You're, you're right that th- this team is as good as anybody else, and it's anybody's game. I do think. So, so I obviously was very hard on Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry after the loss to the Jets. And then they come back on that Thursday and in a short week beat a rival in a game that they really needed. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, no, like what? It's, they've, they've got it. Like they figured it out. And now here we're at another circumstance again where they had a very winnable game that they didn't win. I don't think that Kevin Stefanski blew this game for the Browns, but I do, I rethink he could have coached them into a backdoor win here. You don't have Clowney. You don't have Garrett. It's your first week without Anthony Walker. You know, you have some, some goofy stuff happening. You go, this would have been one of those, oh, you know, like the way that, for instance, you know, Terry Francona got a very young Guardians roster into the playoffs because he seemed to be pulling the right levers all the time, right? This could have been a man to Kevin Stefanski pull the right levers game. And instead, I would say, Irie, in a situation where his team probably needed him the most strategically, you know, again, a lot of times my stuff is like, well, I don't know, like team building and running the locker room and getting guys up, but strategically, right? When they needed Kevin to pull something out, oh, Kevin got us a touchdown that maybe we didn't really earn. Instead, it feels like Kevin, with some of his decisions, took points off the board for 
for an injured, beleaguered team. And so that to me is not blaming Kevin Stefanski, but boy, like coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski, which he was two years ago, I think would have found a way to win this. And that's what I would have wanted. That's what the Browns should have won out of this. Like, let's be talking about, man, Kevin Stefanski found a way to win when instead his decisions wound up hurting the team. They're not indefensible decisions. They might have even been the right decision, but they didn't work. So I don't know what to tell you. That I, process matters, but in the end, I really like it's a results-oriented business. They didn't win. They didn't score in the red zone. They didn't win. So I don't know. Like, I, I'm not as – I'm not – banging the drum on Kevin as much, but man, this could have been a shining moment for him. And it wasn't. This actually played into one of my worries. I think that I had voiced out uh, in the preseason. Yes. Kevin Stefanski, we know he's an offensive genius, but the biggest worry, or at least not the worry, but regarding the blame, I'm not even, it shouldn't even be regarding Miles Garrett, I believe, or Clowney. I'm not even going to say that's fully on Kevin himself, but yes, it's the fact that opportunities were blown to the point where you're not asking them to take a bunny out of a hat. You're just saying, get us through this quarter, get us through this drive. We are in the red zone, get us to that line. And the fact that that came up fail after fail after fail attempt, it it is kind of mind boggling. And we're going to go back to my worry that I was uh, speaking about. It was, I had this worry when it came to Kevin that, in certain games, especially such as this one, where the pace is different and it's not as stagnant or as he may game plan or expect for in the pregame, that he that he may not know how to adjust to that or the game plan within that. And this may sound cliche, and it sounds like, well, this is the regular, you know, requirements for a head coach in the National Football League. But specifically for Kevin, with this roster, it just felt a tad bit more different. You're right. A couple years ago, he would have been a bit more gutsy. Maybe he would have pulled a bunny out of the hat. But this time, he seemed a little bit more too reserved and just kind of went straight well, with what the game plan was. But, but but was he too reserved or was he not reserved enough? Because we're not complaining that that he was too – that he I – th- I think the issue is I don't know what the tight end reverse was. To David and Joku, that was weird. Nobody uh, does. And the, you know, the, again, they went for it on fourth down. Some coaches would not have gone for it there. I think, I think it's a fine decision, but we, but not everybody would have done it. And I do think the pass from the goal line on second down was was a clear mistake. And I did think, for instance, when you watched that Falcons drive when Huntley got going and they ran it all ten times on that drive, and the run was working and they just stuck with it. I was watching that wondering to myself, I want like, would Kevin stick with it that long? Or would you be, you know, would he be tempted to try a play action pass? Cause what the what Falcons did is they just wanted to stay on schedule. They wanted to make sure we don't want to throw on first down. Cause if we miss now it's second and 10, now we're off, off, off schedule. They stayed on schedule. They marched down the field in a really important drive. I don't. And, and I do think like, it's one of those things. Sometimes people don't like second guessing. That's the whole point. Like it's a results oriented business. Irie. Even if it's like, well, what would you have done different? It's like, I don't know. He's the boss. It didn't work. And this team needed help today. And as it turned out, their head coach didn't give them help. But the bigger thing, what is your view of the Kevin Stefanski-Jacoby Brissett relationship at this point? Because, again, we've sort of been making the point, when it's right, it's right. But it did feel like today, in the second half, it got stretched Maybe Kevin got in a position of asking Jacoby to do too much with the calls he was making, with the way the game was going. And then clearly on that last drive, 
Kevin's calling the timeouts to get the ball back. The Falcons take the lead. And in some situations, be like, here we go. Two-minute drill. Field goal's assured. It's at least going to be tied, or it might be a touchdown, like, let's roll. And instead, it doesn't happen. But I don't know that anybody thinks that's what Jacoby Brissett is best at. And with no timeouts, you knew they weren't going to run it much. So what do we think of Kevin Stefanski and Jacoby Brissett, that marriage right now, Irie? Because this this game tested that marriage, I thought. It definitely did. And well, as we see, they came out on the wrong end of the stick. But regarding their marriage, regarding how everything was supposed to work out, they'll be fine honestly, because they're going to go back. They're going to fly back to Cleveland tonight, probably sometime tomorrow. They're going to go through the film, and then they're going to game plan. Because I think it's going to be a trend when it comes to losing to teams that you should be, that they just give some that extra inf, that extra momentum, and then Percet comes back out and plays beyond people's thoughts to the point. You see, right now, people are thinking, man, Brissett then he's seen a little bit too. He was doing too much. Why is he – Passing 13 for 18 in the first half, you know, for 171 yards. It ends the game with 238 and zero touchdowns. Was he doing too much? Was uh, Stefanski making him feel uncomfortable? But yet, in the next game after Ron, they're going to, it's going to, he's going to perform in a sense of, wow, is he the new starting cornerback? Because that's what everybody was talking about when he came, when uh, after the Steelers game. By the way, I think, I thank God that that loss to the versus the Jets was a short week. I could have not endured that being a full week and then the Steelers. Oh, I just oh, want to mention, uh, yeah. Well, full week's coming. You know that, right? <laughs> they, they don't play again until next I, Sunday. I do, I do, but I can, I can deal with them more but then regarding the Falcons that they lost to instead of the Jets, just within the whole mindset and image of mediocrity. But regarding their marriage real quick, the marriage is still intact. The marriage is still fine. There's just a little bump in the road and they'll, they'll be all right. Come next Sunday. So let me, are you married, Irie? No, I am not uh, at the man. moment. <laughs> I, I am. How old for, are you? Irie? How for old are you? For anybody listening. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, Irie's on the market. Hey, uh, everybody. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm about 32. I'm kidding. I'm 23. You're 23. Okay. Yes. Let me think. What year is it? So I have been married for 27 years. That's I've been married for longer than you've been alive. So I'm going to talk about marriage briefly here. So a marriage when everybody's healthy, everybody's got enough money. Like maybe before the kids come along and you're just, you've got disposable income and you're doing whatever, that marriage doesn't get stretched. That marriage is like, this is great. Like it's easy. And I do think there's a chunk of these first four games when you're playing Baker Mayfield, Joe Flacco, Mitch Trubisky, and Marcus Mariota, where the marriage doesn't get tested. It doesn't get pulled. And now I think it's going to get pulled. And then that's when you find out how you're strong, how strong your marriage is. And I'm not doubting Kevin Stefanski and Jacoby Brissett, but when the going gets tough, I think the second half today, Irie, was a was an indication of what it might be like against Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and Tom Brady and Josh Allen and these guys that are coming. Now Carson Wentz is on the schedule too. They'll be fine when they play Carson Wentz. And that's what I wonder about because I don't think when it gets tested, Irie, the Kevin Stefanski, Jacoby Brissett marriage isn't going to win them games. In the end today, the way it unfolded because of the previous mistakes, we got in a situation where the Kevin Stefanski, Jacoby Brissett marriage had to win the game and it couldn't. I don't think it's going to win games. 
It's but at its best, it won't lose games. It will allow the rest of the team to win games. And Mary Kay is making very valid points. Clowney, Brian, Garrett, especially all out. Right. We understand that the team is going to be better. But that was a reminder. And, and Dan has been on this, right? We really like, I didn't think Jacoby was great week one. There was some of the stuff on the TV broadcast that was like, Jacoby Brissett's been great all year. He wasn't great week one. He was really good in week two and three. But I thought the second half today was a reminder of what's to come and a reminder, Irie, that everybody else is going to have to support that marriage because I don't think it's strong enough on its own. It doesn't mean I think it's going to break apart and end in divorce, but they need support and they did not get the support they needed in the first 58 minutes, which put them in a spot at the end where it was all on Jacoby and he couldn't do it. And that's my marriage talk for today. Irie, what do you think? I, I think that was a, a wonderful lesson when it came to marriage. Now, Delphi, that inside, I, I was thinking some notes during that. Uh, Anytime but talking you need about help, the- just, 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 just give me a ring, man. I'm here for you. I, I appreciate that, OG. Thank you. Uh, but then going back specifically to the Browns uh, via football talk, yeah, I, I think you make a good point. And the fact that this stefanski Brissett marriage is not going to be the sole reason that this team wins games. They do need support, as great as we've been talking about. And you guys have even called me the Jacoby Brissett man. Might as well make me his best man for his wedding. If oh, he ever had, had that's time. so nice. <laughs> I, I am going to think of that now. How do you look in a tux? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So you're Jacoby's best band. Yeah. You, he needs yeah, support. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I might get fitted tomorrow, but nonetheless, regarding his performance though, uh, we, we've seen even within his crazy efficiency that he's still, we already know he's, he, he lacks some type of mobility. Don't let the, you know, earlier in the, in the game, seven yard touchdown run when he faked a couple of defenders fool you there's still a sense of lack of mobility when in in the pocket there is still the sense of being uncomfortable when throwing deep even though he has the, tool, the tools to throw deep a lot of his passes are still within the decision of short playmaking short passes which is fine because it's worked wonders as it's to the point where people were questioning is percent really that good or did Stefanski's system make him look that good so when it comes to tests like this where they hit a in the road, they do need as much support as they can get. And if I'll tell you what, they lose one, once or two more times within the next three weeks. People are going to be counting down the days. They're going to be marking off the calendar for Deshaun Watson's return because he possesses everything in their minds within the pocket that Brissett does not. It was a good reminder that he can't. He's, there's just some things he's just not able to do or wants to do. Does it feel comfortable with? And the second half, we saw a lot of that, and uh, it was painful. I will say I had real questions coming into the season about whether Jacoby Brissett could do what the Browns were going to ask him to do. I think he's answered that question. He just can't do more than that. So that's a reminder. If, if you ask him to do the right things, he's been really good. This was an example today because of other mistakes, because of other missed opportunities, they wound up putting him in a spot to ask him to do more than he's capable of. And we saw what happened. It dropped the Browns to two and two. You guys can read everything that these folks are writing. Cleveland.com slash Browns. We certainly would invite you to be a Browns insider. And we always appreciate you guys making us part of your Browns experience. Get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast so you do not miss an episode. For now, for Dan, for Mary Kay and Ashley, and for Irie, I'm Doug. And that was the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. 